people already think it's a petting zoo, right? Um, I was stung by a bee, you should have warning signs. A McDonald's would be nice, a, a nice sight at the trailhead. And this one, the places where trails do not exist are not well marked. Um, that, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, people get lost, and, and actually there's, there's been a couple deaths in the last uh, week of people who got lost in the Badlands and didn't have enough water. Moab, somebody died in Moab because they didn't have enough water. Uh, my son and I hiked Moab in April of a long time ago. And, uh, you know, they have these, these little stacks of rocks. There's a name for them. What is it? A cairn, right. Um, and that's how you, like, get to Delicate Arch. And we thought we were following them, and, and then all of a sudden we weren't. And, and then there was another guy wandering around out, in the, because we wanted to be there at sunrise, to see it at sunrise, which turned out it was too cloudy. We didn't get to see the sun actually come up. But we wandered around in the dark and finally figured out how to get there. And it was amazing how much clearer we could see the Cairns to come back when it was light. <laughs> right? I mean, we had headlamps, but, um, you know, the light helps period. Um, darkness, wickedness is darkness, and, and we can get lost there. If, if everybody would turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Um, we're just going to hit it hard. Um, so wisdom and wickedness is the title of the message today. <clears throat> uh, wickedness. Uh, there's something that's often referred to as the problem of evil. Uh, it, it's a subject that has been debated and molded over since the fall of man. And Solomon, in this chapter, comes face to face with the problem of evil in the world. Uh, now, all of us, at one time or another, I think we've thought about this. Maybe you didn't know or recognize that you were thinking and meditating about the problem of evil. But um, the problem of evil isn't, it, it isn't unbelief that causes this problem of evil when it comes to evil. It's It's faith. It's actual belief. Now, let me explain that. So if there is no God, then there is nobody to blame but ourselves for what happens throughout the course of a day or through, throughout our world, right? Um, there's not a problem with evil if, if that's the case. But if we believe in a loving and good God, which we do and, and is true, he's real, there's historical evidence, we know it, we have his word right here, but, but since we do believe in a loving and good God, then we must also face the question of why is there so much suffering in the world? It's, it's a good question, it's a fair question. Um, in the face of all the suffering that goes on around us, uh, number one, does God know about it, yet doesn't care? Or does he know about it, yet is powerless to do anything about it? See, that's a couple of the questions that people wrestle with over and over and over again. What, what are we to make of that? Now, some people who set out to, to try and answer that question, they simply become atheists or agnostics when they get to the end of their, their answering. It's like, well, there, there can't be a God. Because a loving, kind, gentle God would not allow this to go on. He, he just wouldn't do it in, in their thinking, um, which then 
takes them to a whole nother question, and, and that's this. If, if you determine there's not a God, then how can you explain all the good that actually is in our world? I mean, humanity? You, you think all the good that's in our world just comes from us? If, if there is no God, uh, you know, can humans alone make all the beautiful, enjoyable things that we experience even in the midst of so much evil? Now, with wisdom and understanding and the application of history and facts and reality, I conclude no way could a human being create good in this world in and of themselves but we also have to be real and admit that there are things that we don't understand. And, and I believe the problem of evil is one of those things. You know, where did it come from? You know, a lot of people say, well, God, you know, when God created Adam and Eve, there was one rule. And, and that was the choice and the decision that God gave Adam and Eve to choose either good, which was obedience of him, or or disobedience of him. And so God technically didn't create evil, but God basically gave the uh, environment where it was a possibility. And, and you start thinking too much about that and it can twist you up inside and, and then Satan comes along and he says, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, which is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Oh yeah, God, God you know, sure, he's holding back on you. He really, he, he just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to really know good and evil, right? So that's why he says, don't eat of the truth, the, 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 the knowledge of good and evil, eat, eat of that tree. And, and, uh, and he got them all twisted around and, and they ended up eating it, disobeying God. And then, and then we have been, humanity has been uh, experiencing the effects of that decision ever, ever since it was made. Um, there are things that we don't understand. And that's where Solomon is. You know, he's been searching, he's been searching, he's been searching, he's reflecting back on his life uh, and, and all of the experiences that, that he had as he was trying to, uh, you know, find love, find uh, peace, find hope in all of the wrong places, and that's all of those places under the sun. Humanistically speaking, apart from God, things in this world are empty. They just really are. I, I made the statement to somebody this week. I'm like, I don't know how people do it. How, how, do you, how do you live your life? How do you face all of the things in this world that there are to face without an anchor, without a rock to cling to, without something that is solid that you never have to doubt, that, that you know it's true? How? And, and many people end up ending their life or, or, or looking to a substance or, or whatever. And, and I'm sure, well, Solomon didn't end his life, but he sure dabbled in a lot of stuff trying to answer that question. And, and last week we turned a corner in, in, in his thinking, and today he continues as he began last week in chapter 7 talking about wisdom. Now, Solomon doesn't deny God's existence nor does he deny the reality of evil, and he certainly doesn't limit God's power. And, and I think Solomon solves the problem of evil by affirming three things that we're going to look at today and, and seeing those three things in the proper perspective. One, one of the major sources of evil today is us, is human beings, humanity. Uh, as, as fallen people, we delve into many devices, both good and evil, that contribute to the suffering in the world. You know, a lot of people suffer because somebody 
has used their authority over them improperly or uh, you know, you think of all of the kings, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, uh, that, that were in Israel's history, and not very many of them were good. Um, that's where suffering comes from. And, and God certainly can't be blamed for that. I, I wonder why we do that. Why do we, why are, why are all the bad things that happen in our life, you know, to our automobiles and our houses called acts of God? Why, why do we blame him for the hail? Why do we, why do we blame him? You know, and, and I think blame is the incorrect word because I do believe it's all within his control, which then, again, leads us to how could God allow this to happen? Why did God, I, I was messaging with my brother this morning and I'm like, Hi, hey, how's the wheat down there? He said, horrible. Not the word I wanted to hear. He said it's averaging between seven and 30 bushels to the acre because of one day. Because of one night that it got cold. And why? Why would God could have breathed on the planet and made it warm? Why did he let that happen? That seems like evil, like bad to me. But there is much good that can come from that. Now, there are a lot of farmers who don't think so. Not in this moment. Not, not if they only focus on today and they only focus on their life on this planet under the sun. What, what will God teach us? How will he show up? How, he, how will he provide? Let's ask those questions as we struggle with this problem of evil. Uh, I mean, life is confusing enough, let alone when we attempt it on our own. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a soldier. His name was Helmuth von Moltke. He was drafted to work in counterintelligence for Nazi Germany. Yet his Christian faith made him a staunch opponent of Adolf Hitler. Hmm, what's he going to do? Von Moltke believed it was wrong for him to use violent force against the, against the Nazis. Nevertheless, he used his high position to rescue many prisoners from certain death. So he's serving his king, but he's doing good in the midst of that. And not surprising, he was eventually accused of treason, put on trial, found guilty, and sentenced to die. In his final letter home to his beloved wife, Freya, von Moltke described the dramatic moment at his trial when the judge launched into a tirade against his faith in Christ. Only in one respect does national socialism resemble Christianity, he shouted, the judge. We also demand the whole man. Then the judge asked von Moltke to, to declare his ultimate loyalty. From whom do you take your orders? From the other world or from Adolf Hitler? Where lie your loyalty and your faith? Von Moltke knew exactly where his loyalty lay. He had put all his hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he stood before his earthly judge as a Christian and nothing else. His faith had enabled him to act wisely in government service, and now it enabled him to act wisely when he faced his final hour. As a believer in Christ, von Moltke understood the difference between the proper exercise of authority and the, the abuse of power. He also knew the wise course of action when he was under someone else's control and in danger of his very life. During some of the darkest days of World War II, somebody asked the question, why doesn't God stop the war? I wonder how many Jews asked that question. Why doesn't God stop the war? The wise answer from a friend was this, because he didn't start it in the first place. It was evil that started that war. 
It was the bad, powerful decisions of men that started that war. I, I, think, I think, and we could go deeper into the theology of that statement. Even that statement raises theological questions, but I think Solomon would have agreed with that answer. Um, Solomon tackles three key areas in our passage this morning. First, he considers the matter of submission to authority, which, which in our world today is a topic of discussion and, and question. Uh, he was aware that God set up kings and authorities, and he discussed how people are to relate to civil authorities. I think, I think Solomon in chapter 8 is talking about the relationship between a servant or a, a soldier and, and the king. And, and I think maybe Paul got some of his wisdom on this subject from Solomon because in Romans, Paul tackles our submission to authority. Uh, and that's the first one. It's authority. Now, in, in, as I mentioned, in Old Testament times, kings were known to be good, but uh, actually kings w- weren't known to be good. They held the power of life and death in their hands and they often used it at the whim, at their own whim of how they were feeling that day. Uh, The Jews suffered greatly at the hands of evil rulers time and time and time again. Uh, Even today, that is true. These leaders were not elected, nor were they held to account by the people. They just had power. And and as we look in Scripture, uh, Scripture tells us, Paul tells us that God put leaders, puts those people in power, which brings up a question, right? God, why would you do that? Why would you put them in that place? Uh, There were a few benevolent kings, but most were tyrannical despots who didn't let anything stand in the way of the things that they wanted. In chapter 8, Solomon is likely considering such a relationship, an example of an officer in a royal court. So how far would he go, that officer, in order to obey the king? How far should we go? How far should we go in obeying and following the authority of those who are over us? Because we have decisions to make, actually every day. We make a decision as to whether we're going to submit to the authority over us. If you drive 75 miles an hour between here and Torrington, you have snubbed your nose to the authority that says, no, the rule is 70. You know, we, we make decisions every day and, and, and rules and laws are most often made to protect us and help us and provide for our rights, though sometimes that also gets mixed up, not just in our nation, but many others and, and in Israel's history too. But how far should someone who is under the command of someone else go in order to do what they ask them to do? Um, What should he or she do? Well, wisdom, godly wisdom is very helpful in this situation. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8, chapter or verse 1. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Wisdom that is from God guides, will guide our paths for his name's sake in the right direction. That's, that's where we have to start. We have to start surrendered and submitted to God. Period. End of story. We have to do that. Because when we rebel, when we start to, you know, arch our back against the things that we in our 
in our mind know our right, but our heart wants us to do something else. When we follow our heart and we disobey God, that lessens the brightness of our face. There, there's four possible approaches that we could take, that this servant could take when faced with a decision of obedience. So, so the, the commander or the king says, go do this. There's four, there's four ways that that soldier, or for us, when the government says, or the rules say, or whatever, your boss, your parent, whoever and whatever is in authority over you, when that authority says, I want you to do this, we basically have four choices. The first is this, disobedience. That's a choice that we can make. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Look at verse 2. Solomon says, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. So Solomon's not for disobedience. <laughs> He's saying you should follow the command because you, uh, like somebody that's in the military, I mean, they sign, they, they, they basically sign the check, it's blank, they hand it to the government, the army, whatever armed forces service they're, they're joining, and say, I will do whatever you tell me. And, and you write the amount in there. It could be your life. It could be something. It could be what you feel like is an unjust war. It could be whatever. But you have signed an oath to do what your commander has commanded you to do. And then you are to go do that. Solomon says, in, in case you're thinking of not following the chain of command... You need to follow because you signed an oath before God. You committed to serve him. And obeying this ruler is a part of that. Disobeying would be an affront to God. Because God's the one that put that ruler in authority over you. Um, I mean, we have enough misery in our lives, right? Why add the misery of not submitting to an authority over us? Because, you know, a speeding ticket always comes at the wrong time. It's like, I need that hundred bucks, or I need that whatever. It, it adds misery. Uh, whatever a man sows, he will also reap, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. So if we're going to sow evil, we're going to sow sin, we're going to sow wickedness, then we're going to reap the effects of that. Because God takes our sin and our disobedience very seriously. And, and oftentimes we, we justify it or we excuse it, right? We just went through that very challenging series. And, and uh, it's like, whoa. I was having a, a conversation with a pastor yesterday. And he's like, I think every church needs to hear this. Needs to go through this series and this, this study. Because we've kind of lost our... We've become, we've become brazen in the face of sin, in our culture, because it's, it's, so, it's so accepted, celebrated even. And that's biblical too, right? What's wrong will be seen as what's right, and what's right will be what's wrong. We're, we're cautioned by that. We, we must take that seriously. Uh, in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, we find a passage that my dad liked to quote often. Uh, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. It was that last part that he always, that he would say often. 
You, you want to make bad decisions, trust me, it, your sin will find you out. One, one of those illustrations for me was I, we had some, some powerful pickups. Uh, we had a Ford pickup that was light in the rear end and strong in the motor. And I liked to, you know, drift around dirt road corners. And it, it could have been 10 miles away and my dad would know I did it. Um, and, and that's what he would say. Your, your sin will find you out. You can't hide from it. You know, and, the, and the, in fact, the more you try to hide it, the deeper in you get and the more destructive it becomes. And it will eventually come out. It will eventually come out. Uh, but so, so we could choose to, to disobey, disobey an authority over us. But what happens if the master or ruler re, really does require something of the servant that the servant just can't obey, right? Um, then what? So look at uh, verse 3. The servant could also make a move of desertion. Uh, it would seem that Solomon doesn't agree with this move either. Uh, do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Don't, don't make a rash decision and a rash judgment. I, I'm guessing that if a servant in, in old times turned his back on a king, that, that he would probably not live to see the end of that day. Um, if there was any sort of disrespect. Uh, but what, what do you do when a boss asks you to compromise your integrity? Uh, I, I had somebody ask me one time, I was selling something, I don't remember what it was, it might have been a vehicle, and he said, so, is there a chance, you know, you could, oh, whatever, let's use this example, I, I sold it for $6,500, and the person said, so is there a chance you could, you know, write the bill of sale for 5000 instead of 6500 so that I didn't have to pay sales tax on at least 1500 of that. And I'm, <laughs> I don't know that I laughed out loud, but I'm like, no. But you could do that, right? Nobody really knows. If you exchange cash, who knows? Well, you do. And if you're brazen enough and hard-hearted enough to not have that affect you, then, then there's deeper, deeper struggles that, that you need to surrender to God. But um, that just goes to harden our heart uh, even further. So what happens when a boss asks you to, comp to compromise your integrity? Or you feel like the situation is calling for half-truths and misdirection? <clears throat> well, well, I, I think the first, answer, the first thing that, that you have to do is pray. God, what do you want me to do here? My boss is telling me to do this. I'm under his authority. What, what do I do? Because there's a chance that when you, when you make a decision to not follow the authority that you could lose your job, right? I mean, and I guess in, in my mind, is, is keeping your job worth selling a part of your soul for uh, we, we, we have to be careful there. Um, and, then, and then I would say seek wise counsel from a trusted Christian friend as well. Uh, basically, Solomon's saying don't make a rash decision here in anger. Don't, don't make it hurried. Uh, make a good decision. Because you may need to walk away from a job or resign a, a position in order to maintain your integrity. It, it may have to happen. Uh, this decision, a decision like that cannot be made under the sun only. 
We need to seek the Spirit. Uh, Disobedience and defiance are both choices that we could make when under someone's authority, but Solomon cautions against it. A third option would be just outright defiance. And and this is is different than disobedience. Uh, Look at verse 3 again, the, the second half of that. Do not stand up for a bad cause for he will do whatever he pleases. Uh, a commentator I read is thinking that, that, that here is referring to a plot to overthrow the king. Okay, there are a lot of causes out there, right? Uh, there's a cause, there is a cause for everything. Uh, things that we can give our money to, things that we can give our time to, things that we can give our emotions to and our, our mental space and state. Um, in this case, uh, Solomon's saying, if your cause is overthrowing the king, you better, you better be sure that that's really, want you to, really something that you want to do. Uh, you better be sure that it's a good and just cause, not a bad one. Otherwise, it may be off with your head. Of course, it still could be. Uh, even if you made the right decision. Solomon seems opposed to this option as well. Um, since a king's word is supreme, verse 4, who can say to him, what are you doing? It's submission to that king. So, so the question then that I knew many of you may be having right now is, is there a place for civil disobedience of a Christ follower? Is that okay? Is it okay for me? Do law-abiding citizens have a right to resist authority when we don't feel the law is just? Thomas Jefferson wrote, resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Was he right? Was he right in that? When it, when it comes to matters of conscience and the importance of standing up for what is right, Most of us would agree and should agree with Peter in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. This is when they were told to keep their mouth shut. Uh, They were told to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. And they're like, they continued to do it. They, it was an act of civil disobedience. Now, it was a terrible thing for the authorities to ask them to do um, and and we have to be cautious here because this is not this verse is not license to oppose every minor thing that doesn't make sense to us or that we don't agree with right well sh- this highway is is straight and wide I should be able to go 100 miles an hour on it right I don't know why speed is in my head this morning but it, it, it is um I guess it's the, it's the least step on toey, <laughs> maybe, because there's lots of, lots of things that fits in here, right? Um, and, and this is hard stuff. I, somebody said last week, sent me a message and said uh, that uh, there's just so much to learn. I feel like I'm only grasping a little, bit of, a little bit of it in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think when we're done, we should start over and we should start and do it again. Well, that's, I'm not keeping you from doing that very thing, right? Reading through chapter, 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 chapter. God, show me, show me, show me. He'll show you something new every time. He will, because there is, you know, and I was trying to do two chapters a week. It, one chapter a week is just insanity even. So 
so this verse in Acts chapter 5, 20, uh, verse 29, is not license to do whatever we want and, and, and claim, right, religious freedom. Uh, there are laws that we don't like that are not against Scripture or against God's will for our life. Uh, some, would, some would claim taxation is, uh, but we can go right to where Jesus was asked that same question, and what, he, what did he say? Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. You may not like it. It's where you live. It's the laws that have been created and formed. Okay. That might have stepped on a few toes. See, here, here's the thing. We, we have to be, uh, this does mean that we have an obligation to obey our conscience. And that conscience must be the Holy Spirit. It must be informed by God himself. Not, not just emotions, not just thoughts. The word of God must be consulted. And, and, and I would suggest a, a group of, of wise, God-fearing men and women sitting down and saying, what would God have us do here? We can't, I, I, don't, I don't think we can make those decisions all on our own, on an island, and be right. We have to be careful. We have to be sure that what we are doing is what God would have us do. So how then do we express our disagreement when those in authority over us are leading us in a direction that we know goes against God and his word? Let's look at verse 5. Whoever obeys his, he's talking about the king, his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Okay, there can be misery with a good decision and misery with a bad decision. There can, right? If, if, if we're heartless and cold, we just make decisions that affect other people on a daily basis and it doesn't affect us. But if, if we really care about people and confronting a coworker, for instance, because they did something that was wrong, that, that can bring misery into your own life. And it's really hard and difficult to have that conversation. But, but, but what do we do then? Do we just not say anything? As a boss... If you have an employee that comes to you and says, hey, I think this might be kind of a shady deal, what do you do? Fire him? Keep your mouth shut? Or do you say, hmm, I hadn't looked at it that way before. Um, let's, let's take a look at that. So there's a couple things here. And, and the word is discernment. The word is discernment. We have to seek discernment. Some... Some have received the spiritual gift of discernment. Now, I'm not sure that I would want that gift because it seems to me like somebody with that gift is going to, God's going to put them in all sorts of situations where they use that gift. And, and that's scary to me. Now, I would like to be discerning. Sometimes I'd like to have some new supernatural discernment. You know, there were those times when your kids were, were are out there on their own and and you're wondering about the decisions that they're making, but you don't really know and you can't really tell and you, you're not sure if you should ask or whatever. It'd be nice to have some discerning thoughts in those moments. Do I say something? Do I not say something? See, that's what, that's what Solomon is saying right here. 
that, that we need to pray and we need to submit and we need to, because there is a proper time and procedure. I, most of us, I don't think we, we have the gift of discernment. And discernment takes time for those who don't have the gift of discernment. Uh, but it's an exercise that we must engage in. Time and I believe judgment is another <clears throat> English translation of that word there. Procedure. We need help with how to proceed. Do I say something? Do I not say something? Then when you, when you feel the Spirit is saying yes, then the question becomes how and when? What is, the, what is a good procedure here? How can I proceed in, in my relationship with my boss or my wife or my children or, or whatever? You see, the impulsive person who overreacts and stomps out of the room is likely to just make the problem worse. Solomon is saying, hey, take a deep breath. Let's seek wisdom. Wisdom helps us understand people and situations. Godly wisdom helps us figure out the right thing and the right time to do that thing. So in the Old Testament, we have the situation with Joseph. Joseph's brothers were really jealous. I mean, I would be too, right? If I had a brother who was the youngest and kind of got everything he seemed like he wanted. Kind of like me when I was growing up. The good thing about me, though, I was kind of an only child. There was 10 years difference between me and my closest brother. So um, they all knew I was spoiled, but they didn't have to be around to experience it. They were all out of the house. Anyway, Joseph, what happened to Joseph? His brothers sell him to slavery. They think they got rid of him, right? Um, He goes off. He spends lots. I mean, he rises to power, and then he's put in a dungeon for years, and then he rises to power again. You know, God, what are you doing? That's so unjust. That's so unfair. That's so wicked and evil. But God works all things for good for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Um, And that's what he did for Joseph. So so Joseph is in this, this, now in this position where he has control of all of the food in the land, right? God gave him wisdom. They stored it up. He has all this food. And who comes begging for food but his brothers? He has a couple options, right? I mean, he's the most powerful man in the land and they're in his land. What would you do? What would you have done if your brother sold you into slavery, hated you, treated you terribly, what would you do in their presence when, you, when they came groveling for food? I kind of think I know what I would do, and it, was not, it would not be what Joseph did. See what Joseph did? He kept his mouth shut. He attended to their needs, and he went back behind a curtain. And he's like, basically, God, what am I supposed to do here? He prays for the perfect time and the perfect procedure. He's a little devious, right, in the end of how he kind of reveals himself eventually to his brothers. I mean, he takes one of them hostage, the favorite one, but not in a mean way. So maybe there was a little bit of humanity in him yet, but, but he did 
at the right time. And what did it do? It, it strengthened his relationship with his family. It restored his relationship with his family, with his father. They, they come to live with him. We need to make decisions even in the face of obedience or disobedience with wisdom and in their proper time. The disciples even exercised spiritual discernment when they were arrested and persecuted as recorded in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Um, they were respectful to those in authority even though the religious leaders were prejudiced and acting illegally. How defiant would you be if you were wrongfully arrested? Right? What did Jesus do? <laughs> right? He wielded all of his power against these Wicked authorities, no, he's he, like lamb to a slaughter. I mean, the disciples were even willing to suffer for their faith and the Lord honored them in that in the end. Uh, many times in our discomfort and anger and frustration, we take matters into our own hands. May we ask the Holy Spirit to give us guidance and discernment and, and wisdom. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help us to be patient and wise. We forget that there is a day coming when those who have ruled over us and who have ruled over us without integrity and charity will be held accountable to those decisions and those actions, just not by us. But we want, no, let's leave that to God. And I don't know what specific situations you're facing. Some of it may be on a daily basis others on occasion, whatever the circumstances God has you in right now, you have four options when it comes to submitting to those who are in authority. Uh, disobedience, running away, defying the orders, or even fighting back. And before you act, may you exercise wisdom and seek to discern the right time and procedure. The reality is it's, it's not easy to be a consistent Christ follower in this complicated evil world. We like to be liked. And when you stand up against certain things, you're not well liked. But we can ask for the wisdom of God and receive it by faith. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. See, Solomon is reflecting back on his life, right? Because he tried all of this stuff. If he had at the beginning of his life said, and he asked God for wisdom and God granted it to him and he's like he wandered away from that. It's like he was, he was only focused under the sun and he was trying to figure it out himself. If we would just stop and seek God first, he will give generously to us. Later in, in James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap and har a harvest of righteousness. Now, next Solomon turns his concerns once again to the inequity he sees in the world. Because it, it's bad. It, it was bad in Solomon's day. It's bad in ours. Ecclesiastes 8, 7 and following. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. 
As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Be cautious if you're an unruly boss. There is no profit in wickedness. Activity done under the sun is futile and empty. There is very little purpose for the things that matter. Then Solomon summarizes his concern in verse 14. There is something else meaningless. Remember that word meaningless is havel. It's havel, smoke that occurs on the earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is havel. I mean, who wouldn't fight against that, right? And, and who hasn't said, this is just unjust? According to the famous uh, trial lawyer F. Lee Bailey, in America, an acquittal doesn't mean you're innocent. It means you beat the rap. Pretty cynical. But I mean, it happens, right? Uh, in fact, poet Robert Frost defined a jury as 12 persons chosen to decide who has the better lawyer. Sometimes that's true. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody who was guilty said, I'm guilty. And, and I surrender my penalty to the court. I'd save a lot. I'd put a lot of lawyers out of work, right? Because some of it is trying to figure out if they're telling the truth, if they're not telling the truth, if, if you know... I, But it just doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, if you're, if you're good or you do good, you should receive good. Why do bad things happen to good people, right? I mean, that's another question of the problem of evil. Why do good things happen to bad people? Well, I think part of the problem is we think people are good and we're not. But why on earth do good things happen to bad people? Then too, verse 10, I saw the wicked buried. So there's a funeral. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. So they were wicked. They went to church every day. They were perceived as being holy or whatever, but they weren't. This too is meaningless, he says. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. I mean, we just keep making up ways to be bad in our world today. Um, Solomon is, is observing a man who lived an ungodly life yet was given much praise from the people. In fact, he got a magnificent funeral and an eloquent eulogy. Yet there were many in the city who were ignored and forgotten. That the sinful man thought he was getting away with it. But in the end, of course, we know that he didn't. We're thankful for God's patience in our life. But when it comes to others, we can unfortunately get frustrated and confused by it. How many times, and I did this just yesterday, have I been driving through Lingle, the speed limit, here we go again. And some out-of-state plate blows by me, 
and I say generally out loud, where's Indra when I need her? <laughs> right? I want justice to be served. Oh, man. Turn to Second Peter. Second Peter. This is a... And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of skip through this, but 2 Peter chapter 3, towards the back of the, the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Little hint of Solomon in there. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word that present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Ton of stuff in there. Bottom line is this. God is patient. He's, and, and we should hope that he is as patient with others as, as we would want him to be patient with us. And we too should be as patient with others as we would want them to be patient with us. Sometimes that's hard because it just doesn't seem fair, right? Even Solomon said, look, um, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Justice should be served. If it's not, it just gets worse. And, and, but, but it's God's decision. It's God's choice. It's God's timing with all of that. In your life and in mine, there is inequity in the world. That's just a reality. And we must do all that we can to encourage the passing of good laws and the enforcement of them by capable men and women, whoever they might be. But even that will not completely solve the problems of our world because it is fallen. It is broken. And until Jesus sets up his righteous kingdom, there will always be injustice in the world. So what do we do as we reflect on this? We 
Where are you going to turn when it doesn't rain on your crops, but it does on the farmer who lacks integrity? Where are you going to turn when your neighbors who aren't believers seem to have a great marriage, but yours has been a failure, or you're just holding on by a thread? Where are you going to turn when those in authority over you seem to be lining their own pockets while you can't seem to rub two pennies together? I mean, I could go on. What what are you going to do? I mean, Solomon was asking those questions. And his conclusion for today, look at verses 12 and 13. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God who are reverent before him. Remember that message last week about the better things and the better things were really not really that great, at least (laughs) as we live our daily lives. It's a better thing to let God handle justice uh, and, and unjust situations than it is for us to try and render our own out, outside and apart from the laws that, that, that our land has, and even those can be reformed in some ways or need to be. Yet, verse 13, yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. They're not going to get any more days than God allots them. And that's true of us too. So, so there's this authority and these decisions that we have to make with authority. And then, and then uh, there's inequity in the world that Solomon is observing. And finally, uh, and I mentioned this last week, there are things in life and eternity that are just a mystery. They're just a mystery. And we, I want to repeat it again, we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. Because God is in control and he is unsearchable. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere at every moment. We are not. He is good. We are not. He is so good that he came to this earth to lay down his life for a bunch of ungrateful, failing, doubting human beings. He surrendered. He, he lived the perfect life. He surrendered himself to crucifixion on a cross. He was dead, and on the third day, he was resurrected. He, he conquered sin and death, and, and he, we just simply need to surrender all that we are and all that we have to, to him. Believe that he was God that he paid the price for us, and then enjoy the benefits and challenges of living for him the rest of the days that he has given us. And, and, and recognize that, there, that, yeah, love God and love people, that's pretty easy, that's pretty simple, it's not complex, but in the day-to-day, rubber meets the road, it, it's hard. It's hard for all of us. Verse 15, so I commend 
Solomon says, the enjoyment of life. Because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun despite all their efforts to search it out. No one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. There are mysteries. There's mystery. There's confusion. There are hard things. Remember that verse that that I had for all of us to memorize those first two Sundays when Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Jesus never hides that fact. We we must not either. We got to be honest with people. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Yeah, life sucks sometimes. It's hard. Hard decisions, hard life. People die. People that we love betray us. I mean, all of those things. It's life. It's hard. Jesus said, you, you will have trouble, but, but that's not all Jesus said. He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. And at the beginning of that, beginning of that, he says that we can have peace in this life. But we don't have peace in this life because we cling to things under the sun. We have peace in this life and we have wisdom in this life and we have discernment in this life because we cling to the rock. That's Jesus Christ. He has been the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't expect any more today than he always has. It's us figuring out what does he expect of me. I want to end with four verses as the worship team would come up here. John 7, 17. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. I really like that verse. Jesus is like, hey, do, do, do what I command you. Do what God commands you and you'll see if I'm telling you the truth or not. 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 2. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. I like that one. I'm not sure what translation I put that in there as, but... Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. First Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to live with joy in your life. God has given you gifts and, and, and pleasant things to enjoy. And then Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The last couple ch- songs that I've chosen this morning are, are in an effort to help us point our faces to God his majesty, and and the last song, that he's the one that we seek when we need healing, when we need a miracle. He's the only place we can get it. We just need to ask.
His majesty unto Jesus be all Majesty. 